Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Growing Your Practice podcast. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Jennifer Ratner is a physical therapist and also the owner of Ratner PT in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area in Texas. Uh, I think you're gonna love her story and also see how she took a leap of faith in terms of opening her own practice and growing it uh, pretty quickly. So welcome to the call here uh, and the podcast, Jennifer. Thanks, Chad. Great, so uh, that was a, a very elevator pitchy uh, introduction. Can you fill in some of the gaps for us? Where did you grow up? What happened in, uh, where'd you go to PT school and bring us through how you became a, a practice owner as well? Sure. So I grew up here in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, decided to leave Texas to go to college, went to University of Arizona and really was debating, do I go to medical school? Do I go to PT school? Fell in love with PT, um, moved back to Texas, went to University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, um, had a great foundation there, never looked back. My first job was in one of their clinics. I was doing everything from neuro to ortho, uh, couldn't get enough CEUs, just continuing to grow my education. Um, and I had a real passion to continue to drive forward within the profession. Um, I was excited about where the profession was going. I started as a bachelor level therapist, knowing that the profession was moving forward to doctorate level to put us more in a direct access situation. So as I continued my journey, uh, went to Texas Women's University, got a master's, and then ended up following my mentor to Drexel University in Philadelphia, where I received my DPT. Um, still couldn't get enough, went on to get orthopedic certified, and then worked in an outpatient clinic for about 10 years. And it was in that outpatient clinic that I really learned about private practice, how to run private practice, how to grow private practice. Never really thought that I would launch off and end up one day opening up my own practice. But as time went on, I'm one that, that likes the journey. Um, I love the challenge and realized that I really needed to create my own destiny. There's only so long, um, whether you're in a practice or not, um, that you can have a carrot dangled in front of you and lead you along a path. And really I realized it was me needing to generate my own path. Um, and so I opened up my clinic in November of 2018. Um, I was working prior to that in a satellite clinic and the staff that was there, they're like, well, if you're opening a clinic, we're coming with you. And I said, look guys, I don't, I don't know if I can support everybody. This is, um, I'm jumping off the cliff here. I think that I can grow a practice. Um, the way my practice with myself, a PTA and a PT, uh, we had, one and a half techs. I had a front desk person, I had a biller, and that was where we started. And very quickly, we began to grow. Now I'm about to hire my ninth therapist. Um, we have grown by leaps and bounds. Um, I've expanded my space twice, actually, within the past uh, two years, um, almost three years. And um, it's been a great journey. I did incorporate wellness into my practice. Uh, because I really felt like I wanted patients to be able to have the full experience. I wanted to have a massage therapist and I wanted to have the ability for patients to continue on their journey to health and wellness. And so I incorporated wellness into my practice 
Um, we now occupy about 6,400 square feet of space um, and it's been super exciting. And that's really my story. It's just, uh, it's been exciting, exhilarating, really tough coming through a pandemic. Um, but I'm really proud of my team. I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish and the sky's the limit. Here we go. So it's exciting. Great. So let's uh, do a deep dive into that story a little bit because you, you covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. So sure. the, the one, uh, we have a very parallel history um, and I'll, uh, I'll keep you out of trouble because I'll share my story from 18 years ago was working for somebody, um, was considering a buy-in. Uh, I was a director for them, uh, was considering a buy-in and just going through the process, there was a, a nonchalant, uh, non-compete, or it was just very much slid to me. And I was like, I, I, I'm not gonna sign this. Um, so most of us have had that jaded experience that are now private practice owners, right? Something. There was a, a, we could have done something different. Um, you know, the, I, I think it's an exception to the rule. Once in a while, I'll talk with an owner who everything was very amicable. They said, I'm going to open my own PT practice. And that's great. But for most of us, we kind of had that jaded experience. Do you, I had a very specific point when I remember, um, and I hit a crossroads where I said, hey, I'm going to open my own practice. Now I made that decision, um, but that was kind of put to the test. Do you remember when you maybe you hit rock bottom or you were at that crossroads point and you said, you know what, I'm going to resolve to figure this out on my own rather than go down the path that I've been thinking about for a while here. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely remember the time. Um, and it was a building point. Um, I also was prepared to buy into a practice. And when the offer to buy into that practice was not feasible at all, um, I realized, okay, well, if I'm going to continue to do this, I love this practice. It's a practice I want to grow with. Um, and we built a strategy to have me on a bonus structure. And when we reached the end of year one and the bonus wasn't paid out the way it was supposed to, I began to have a sour taste in my mouth. I began to really begin to think, what do I need to do different? And I can either keep going down the same road. We all know the definition of insanity. Um, and I, I could keep going down that same path or I could do something different. And the really, when I hit rock bottom was the point that I realized they weren't going to renegotiate the contract. And it, they, at that point gave me an option actually to buy the satellite office. And I went down that road with them and the satellite office was located in a wellness center. And at first I thought that was a great idea until the owner of the wellness center gave up very valuable space that I needed and the whole deal fell through. And at that point, it was, I don't know if it was a God wink, basically saying, uh, or more like a boot, <laughs> basically kicked me in the butt and said, you need to get out there and do this. You can absolutely do this. And I never look back. So very parallel. And, I, and just in the prep talk before this, uh, I picked this up, but um, I had worked for an orthopedic group that I, I didn't really have confidence in myself at, at that point in my career, two or three years out of school, and uh, two physicians that I had worked with or for in the past, who now had gone out on their own said, you should go independent and kind of gave me uh, the boot or the vote of confidence that you're talking about. Did right. you have that same experience um, in terms of the orthopods or specialists in your area? You know, and that's what's interesting. And that's what really held me back. 
I, I really had to dig deep. And I had to dig deep to know, I mean, in Fort Worth, Texas, it's a good old boys club of orthopedics. And I had some relationships. One was with a, one of the top neurosurgeons here that has continued to send patients. And I knew I had um, his support. And I felt like it was enough to launch as well as my relationship within the community, past patients. Um, I had all those resources available to me. Did I have a handful of orthopedics that were like, yes, Jen, go do this. We're gonna refer you patients. No, I didn't. It was really built one relationship at a time. I obviously started with a physician that believed in me that was willing to send patients. Um, and initially he made up a large majority um, of our referrals very quickly as it leveled out after the first year or so, I would say that probably 25% of our referrals came from that one source. As I've moved forward, um, I've diversified it. Um, we've obviously launched with um, breakthrough in terms of the Growth X program, which is, we can talk about that, Chad, that's been phenomenal for us over the past three months in terms of our growth. Um, but I knew that I needed to reach out to patients patients, past patients, people referring people in. I ask everybody that we interview, how do you define clinical excellence? And clinical excellence is any practitioner's ability to really bring patients back into the clinic. You can have as many initials after your name. You could be the best manual therapist in the world, but if you don't have the ability to connect with people, then maybe you're not as clinically excellent as you think you are, so. Dicey but very true. Yes. <laughs> I love, um, if you get any hate emails, I apologize in advance. Just send them to me. I have a Look, special. I've got the initials too. So yeah. <laughs> I, I have a special box for that, but uh, completely agree. It, yeah. We, we can be amazing clinicians, but if we're not, if there's not that human aspect of it, um, absolutely definitely not valuable in the marketplace for sure. Um, question for you. So as you were going through this, you, you decided to take the leap of faith. Um, I know you, had mentioned uh, the trust the journey um, mm -hmm. uh, picture or saying that you have written up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, one of my mentors, um, as I was going through this process, she was a woman in business for a long time, um, very independent, very successful in business. And she became a mentor. And for a long time, she kept telling me, trust your journey, trust your journey. You need to trust your journey. And I one day really began to believe it. And as a result of that, in my clinic, if you walk in, you'll see a big sign posted on the wall and it says, trust your journey. And whether it's my own journey in terms of my growth of my practice, um, whether it's a patient coming in, trusting their journey through whatever ailment we're treating them for, uh, I'm a firm believer that you need to, to trust the path and that's being laid out in front of you. It's very clear. And uh, for me, it was, it was clear and that's what I've done. Great. So, so uh, you decided to take the leap of faith and uh, trust your journey. You, you probably put a business plan together, right? In, in terms of what you were planning to do. The original space was, did you say 2,300? The original space feet? was about 3,600 square feet. So 3,600 square feet and you have an idea of um, how many new patients you're gonna to need to fill that. Do you remember that original business plan? It's gone through so many variations since that time. The, honestly, the, the truth is the original business plan was just to grow as much as you could, as fast as you could. Um, I wasn't real sure in the beginning 
how many patients we were able to generate. Um, initially, when we opened up our schedules, you know, there's holes, and all of a sudden those holes begin to fill. Um, and I'm going to say within the first three months, we were hiring staff. So we, uh, we really launched pretty quickly. Uh, myself, my PTA, my other PT, we were seeing anywhere from 10 to 15 patients a day initially. Um, and then we continued to grow from there. Nice. I think the other helpful thing for us along the way was to also utilize, we've got a wonderful PRN therapist. And so as you're fluctuating and growing, instead of hiring a full-time staff, we brought in a PRN therapist that could help help us adjust the flow and, and grow until we knew we needed to hire another therapist. So helps with the scalability and the costs where you're not absolutely shell out 80 or 90 K a year for somebody who's That's not right. cool yet. Yep. Perfect. Um, so 3,600, you fill the space, uh, start to fill the space within the first 90 days or at least your schedules. And now you're hiring. Um, so can you give us an idea with nine PTs, um, is it nine clinicians right now? Yes, it's nine clinicians. And, you know, you um, have some adjustability of people um, on the schedule. So right now we're looking at about six FTEs on the schedule. Um, and I'm looking to hire an, a seventh. So of all the therapists we have, some are coming in just in the afternoon. You've got, I really like to afford flexibility to our staff. Yeah. Um, but you're looking at about six to seven FTEs. Okay. And the, just visit wise, is that 250 ish visits a week? Yeah. I mean, this week we're, we're on a record for, we started the week at 337 visits this week. Oh, nice. So uh, we have um, really skyrocketed uh, and it's just amazing. Um, just to give you an idea, January of 2020, we were at 688 patients for that month. Uh, January of 2021, we were at 872. We moved forward, understanding that in Texas, we, we had a snowstorm that shut down my clinic for a week. Um, you know, we didn't close at all during COVID, but the snowstorm and the ice storm shut our clinic down for a week. Um, but here coming into March, we're going to hit a record month this month with 1,278 patients. That's great. So that's so, uh, 15 months and you've quadrupled. Correct. Wow. That's great. Amazing. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Yep. Exciting. The, yep. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so a couple of other questions for you. We, you mentioned the mentor mm -hmm. and we, we have been, I, I, I said just from the, a uh, handful of conversations that you and I've had, you've impressed me with your business acumen. And I thought maybe you had an MBA or you grew up in a business family or anything like that. You assured me that did not happen, but you do have at least one mentor. Um, can you talk about maybe how you found the person and, and how you bounce ideas off of them? Because I think in our industry in particular, within private practice, we frequently lack mentors. And more commonly, the owner does not how to does not understand how to interact with a mentor, where that can be a very positive relationship going long-term. So I think, you know, when I was in my previous practice, um, they reached out to a company that did some mentorship in terms of how do you run a clinic? How do you do billing? How do you grow your practice? How do you train your front desk? And so 
in terms of that mentorship, a lot of my growth and knowledge of actual mechanics of the clinic um, and how we do billing and those sorts of things came from my growth in that previous private practice. In terms of the mentorship that I've gained now, one of the women that became my mentor, um, she was a patient of mine, ran a very successful business of her own, um, and really just had a lot of life lessons. She's in her 70s now. I've known her for the past 10 years. And I really do believe that it was her guidance that helped me through. Now, from the standpoint of writing a pro forma and building your business model, um, my husband does have some of that background. So he was able behind the scenes to help me build pro formas, um, look at numbers specifically. I, um, I'm a clinician. As clinicians, sometimes we're not the best business people and sometimes we're not the best with numbers. Um, so it's been through him um, that I've been able to really help nail down numbers. Um, and then obviously watching podcasts, learning from you, learning from the experts that you have on your podcasts and understanding some of the things that I never understood before. And there's still many things that I have to learn in terms of looking at numbers and performance and those sorts of things and metrics. Um, it's through, it's through you and through um, various podcasts and just digging into books and reading about growth. Um, that's, that's how I've done it. So just, just to reset here for everybody, um, a pro forma is a financial projection. Um, Jennifer, I think in all the owner conversations I've ever had, um, I think you're the first one with less than 10 years of experience that has ever used the word pro forma. <laughs> uh, the, the, well, and, and it's important, it's an important distinction uh, because it, it usually enters into the conversation when somebody's doing like five, 10, 20 million a year in revenue, they start to project forward for the de novo clinics. And that's what I mean. Your, your uh, vocabulary and vernacular is one of a person that is uh, very established in business. So make sure you that's thank great. your mentor. Yeah, I will. Thank um, you. Is your mentor in a health services business or something? Not at all. A complete different industry. Perfect. So <laughs> yeah. completely different industry. But there are probably a lot of times when you're saying, you know, my business is different. PT is different than, you know, whatever their steel manufacturing or oil or whatever it is, right? Roofing. Yes. It's my business is different. And then they'll use, she'll usually say something to bring you back to reality. Um, right. Can you think of like your most, uh, other than, you know, uh, trust your journey, is there anything else that where you went in with a, a uh, perhaps a misunderstanding in business where your mentor walked you through that? Not to put you on the spot. You know, really, I think, I, well, one of the most valuable things besides trust your journey is just trusting your gut. Um, there's been many times that I've been burned where something didn't feel right. And I just didn't trust it. I ignored red flags along the way. And when you're seeing red flags waving in your face, um, it's a sign. It's a sign to take a closer look. And I think probably uh, if she taught me anything was to really uh, listen to your gut, pay attention. Um, you know, I tend to be more of the skeptic. People typically have to earn their trust with me. Um, and I, I think just that very guardedness and coming through the journey, just like you, Chad, where you might've been burned along the way, 
um, how do you come through that and learn to trust people? Um, and it's building, it's building the relationships. My, my mentor was someone I could trust, but her, her lesson to me was, was trust your gut and pay attention to the red flags. Great. Um, without getting you in trouble and, and I'll, I'll share a story first and then you can think about a story. Sure. But I, I think what you're saying is, uh, commonly missed skill or undervalued skill for any business owner, not just in private practice, but there are times and from the jadedness, right? We're usually pretty good at uh, playing victim. Like here's why I'm failing or here's why we're not reaching our goals. And obviously that, that is not the stage that you're in right now, but it's, it is very common for us in private practice PT, you know, uh, reimbursement rates are really low in our area or, costs are really high for space or personnel. That is, you know, my business is different is a very common song. What I've done every time where I've lost majorly where, you know, it's a PT going down the street and opening their own practice, or, um, I mean, I've been through theft. We, you know, I've been through just about anything you can imagine in 18 years. Um, all sorts of surprises were to the point where not too much surprises me anymore. Um, Every single time, what I try to do is go back in the assessment and say, hey, what was the red flag that I really didn't pay attention to, but I saw, I saw it out of the corner of my eye and I chose to ignore that? What was that red flag so I don't miss it next time? So for yourself, is there anything, uh, was there an experience for you, a challenge for you perhaps early on that you, you, know, you went in, you saw the red flag and now you're more prone to look at it? You know, I think the big red flag for me was right before I opened my practice. Remember, um, I had said that I was going to purchase um, a, a satellite clinic. And there were a lot of red flags about being actually in that space. I knew that if I was going to grow, I needed to be able to expand. And the owner of the wellness center, I'd had a long relationship with him. He was a trainer in Fort Worth and had a great relationship with him until the very end. And I ignored the red flags of what he was trying to tell me in terms of my ability to grow in space. I felt like he had a tremendous relationship with people within the community. And I felt like I couldn't necessarily do it on my own. He had great relationships with all these orthopods that I really needed him. And I ignored the fact that he wasn't gonna let me probably go grow or expand in the space, even us just shifting a treatment table into some of the wellness space I knew was going to be an issue, those sorts of things. Um, um, I ignored along the way because I believed I'd do it. And then when I finally got pushed off and I was like, I, I'm out of here, I, I'm going to do this. This is what, this is where my journey is leading me. This is what I'm going to do. Um, those were the biggest red flags that I ignored. And I knew at that point, um, I really try not to ignore the red flags anymore, no matter what it's been with my business. As, as my husband always tells me, he goes, Jen, I could tell you all these things and your gut has proven true every single step of the way. So why am I going to tell you something? Just trust it, go with it because, because since you started this journey, you've never been wrong with it. So go with it. Um, but the, the red flag um, was from the beginning uh, before I opened. So. Very, very fair. And thank you for sharing that. Sure. So quadrupling going from, uh, I think you said 337 in January, 2020, uh, pre-pandemic, roughly 
yeah. quick math, 80 visits a week, 90 visits a week um, to, I think you have 300, um, I'm sorry, it was 688. Right. It was 688. Yeah. Sorry. 337 was the visit well, scheduled I mean, this when week. When we started back in 2018, it was less. Yeah. So, so 688 is roughly 170 a week, quick math ish. Right. Yep. Um, so now you're, yeah, you, you guys are absolutely crushing it. So you've doubled um, within uh, 12, 15 months. What are the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? With, with hyper growth? Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, so the, I would say the challenges at this point are hiring the right staff um, and making sure that we're adequate, adequately staffed. There's this ebb and flow and, you know, we've come out of the pandemic and continue to grow. We launched um, Growth X in January and we've now, we're now offering rotator cuff um, and shoulder pain workshops. Uh, tonight is actually the third month that we're doing that. Um, and really what, in terms of referrals that that has brought to us has been significant. Um, if you look at one month to the next, I think the challenges we face right now are, are hiring good staff, getting, a, getting practitioners that are on board and, and um, excited about your culture and your journey in terms of the growth of your practice. We're getting to a point here pretty soon that now I'm gonna be forced to look at the space issue again. Um, I expanded my space in the middle of the pandemic. We had um, added another 1600 square feet onto the clinic to make more treatment rooms, to make more space for our wellness activities. Um, and ultimately now, even with that space, I'm, we, we have a trainer that we're interviewing today um, because we're adding to our training staff as well. Um, I foresee that the real challenge is going to be managing the volume um, with the space constraints that we have. And whether or not that's looking, I, I never thought I'd say this, and as Chad, you always ask what the, what the BHAG is or what the, what the goal is. Um, you know, I originally thought, well, if I could get my clinic up to seeing 350 to 400 patients in a week, God, you know, we would have made it. And here we are within a couple months and we're, we're approaching that pretty quickly. Um, and I think that the space issue combined with adding staff, those are gonna be the bigger challenges that I have, probably looking to open up a second location. Great, hope you got a great deal during the pandemic <laughs> for space. Well, uh, it, so. it happened right before the pandemic, which oh, okay. is so, then the pandemic hit and we're under construction. So I actually signed it before the pandemic. So yeah, we, we, our, uh, our de novo cost, the cost to open a new location um, is about 40% of what it was pre pandemic. Wow. Uh, but uh, wow. yeah, so that's awesome. Uh, ho hopefully you can find it. I'm, I'm saying it as a ray of hope for you that you can find very inexpensive space uh, for either the expansion or another office. Or buying a building. I mean, it. That's yeah. the other. That we can have a conversation about that as well. That's, I'm li so. literally going through that right now. Uh, buying right. another PT space. Um, okay, so I heard you say you, you seem to have a personnel uh, focus on personnel in terms of a challenge with hiring the right staff, getting the right people on board. You also mentioned culture, which I want to ask some ask some questions about that. 
you mentioned GrowthX and the rotator cuff workshops and then the space challenge. So with hiring the right staff, um, what have you, in three years of private practice, three and a half years of private practice, what have you learned so far in terms of uh, any pitfalls to avoid or because um, you're probably way more proficient now than you were two or three years ago? Starting to get there. Um, you know, it's, it's a process. Um, I, I will say that the interview process that we now take our staff through is different than when we started. And I obviously started with a team. Um, my senior therapist and I have been working together for 18 years. So there's a lot of longevity between a lot of the staff. As we bring new staff in, what I find difficult are staff that or therapists that are interviewing that are very set in their ways. They believe something that might be different than what your culture really breeds. Um, and can you give an example? Yeah, I mean, it's like, how many patients a day should I be seeing? Um, and we're a clinic, we're not a patient though by any means. My therapists are seeing anywhere from 10 to 14 patients a day. I don't, I think it's difficult to provide good care when you're way above that. Um, but if you are not on board with seeing 14 patients a day, which I don't think is astronomical, I don't think it's too much to ask. If you're not on board with billing practices and why we bill the way we do, um, if you're so stuck in your ways that you're not willing to make some changes based on your thinking process in terms of, in terms of just specific billing, we know that one code gets paid at this and another code gets paid at this. Well, if you do this code, you should be able to charge for that and get paid for that rather than get stuck in this, this, you know, root of billing the same thing over and over, because that's all I learned to do. It's called redundant coding, and the only reason I remember is because uh, um, I just talked about it on the last podcast recording. So, uh, re it's true. And yeah, redundant coding is where it's like 97140 times 2, 97110 times 2, regardless of the patient. That's right. But we know that neuroread gets paid at a higher rate. And so if you can increase that, uh, you're going to be able to increase revenue. The other thing is just um, additional services we provide. We use the Light Force laser here in our clinic. Love the laser. Uh, it's a cash service for us. So it's a way to increase volume as well as provide the patient with something that I think is super beneficial. But when you have staff that you're hiring that's very against that and against what you're trying to do um, from a business standpoint, um, it makes it very difficult. I have found that therapists that I've hired that are very set in their ways and are are unyielding or unwilling to change and understand and really want to embed themselves in your culture, they don't do well. Um, and they don't really meld well with the team either. Obviously, the, the culture of your team, all of us working together for the common goal um, is what's important here. Uh, and I think that's, you know, probably in terms of hiring, I have found that even some of the new grads that come out that are super sharp, they're very eager to learn, um, they want to embed themselves in a practice and really grow from that. There's a lot of potential for those new grads coming out. Um, and I think it's just getting through in the interview, what, you know, where are they? Um, also taking them through a clinical interview uh, is what we do as well. I never used to do that before. Make them evaluate me. I have a certain condition. I want to know how they talk to me, how they speak to me, um, how they touch me, how, you know, and we never used to do that before, but now we're doing it. Great, excellent. Working interview, 
is a yeah. game changer for all positions. Absolutely. Wonderful. So uh, very quickly in your private practice journey, you realize that you're likely the most, uh, the highest order of responsibility that you have is getting the right people on board. You talked about culture um, beyond billing practices. Is there, uh, or at, at least let's say a sense of financial stability for the overall practice. Is there anything else um, are, are there like three to five core values that you look for when you're interviewing somebody for your organization? Yeah, I mean, number one is, are they a go-getter? Um, do they have a personality? Are they able to go through our working interview and communicate with staff, with patients? Are they eager to learn? Um, the questions that they ask in the interview, I think, are, are super important. Um, Repeat the question to me again. I lost my train of thought. Well, you, you nailed five. So I, I asked you for any okay. specific core about three to five core values and you, you just went through five. I think they're go-getter, right? They, they're demonstrating something in their history that uh, they're ambitious, yes. um, that they have, I think you said personality. Yeah. And but, what you well, and what I, what I was gonna say is where I lost my train of thought is, remember I brought up the whole idea of clinical excellence before. Yep. And I, I ask every interviewee that comes in, how would you define clinical excellence? And, you know, somewhere in their answer, it needs to be patient centric. It's about building the relationship with the patient. Um, if they don't give me any response that indicates that they're patient centric and it's all about the, you know, the credentials that they have, um, to me, that's not the right fit for us. Very fair. Uh, we are, and we're the same. Um, you talked about having a, is your rotator cuff workshop tonight or tomorrow? It's tonight. Okay, great. Are you the presenter? I am. Wow, nice. I'm working to, to shed some of that responsibility. Just bring somebody along with you every single time you do it. Yep. Um, the, so can you talk a little bit about, um, at least to me, what I hear you saying is, you know, we had this good old boy network of orthopods in our area in Fort Worth. I wasn't really sure if we were going to be able to break through that. You're obviously doing something right for the growth uh, trajectory that you're on in a very short period of time. It sounds like you have physician referrals uh, solidified at least to some degree. Um, yes. And you, you didn't always have confidence that you were going to be able to do that, but you've nailed that. You're also looking for reactivating past patients, I think you alluded to earlier, and then also going direct to the consumer because as of, I think it's 2019, Texas has direct access. Correct. Right. So can you talk, can you give us like a general overview of marketing? And then, then I'll ask you questions about 2020 and how you were thinking about growing from there. Yeah, I think that um, in terms of marketing, I knew that the marketing your patients initially, when I opened the practice, your patients are your best marketers. Um, those are the people that are going back to the physicians, raving about your clinic. They're better. They, you know, they, when they go back to the physician and say, you need to send all your patients to Radnor Center, um, you know, you know, number one, you have a patient for life. Um, but number two, that's really how the relationships with the physicians developed. I, I got really tired of attempting to knock on the windows at a physician's office just to get the wall of nothing. You couldn't get past anybody. So I realized very early on in our practice, the way we were gonna build it was through the patients. 
as the practice has grown, um, and obviously with our number one referral making up 25% of our practice, I became very uncomfortable that if I was going to lose that referral, you know, there's a quarter of my practice gone. And I knew I needed to do something to really work on marketing more directly to the consumer. It's where PT is heading now with clinicians having doctorates uh, in the state of Texas, although it's limited direct access, we now have direct access. So we have people coming in off the street, which is fantastic. How do we reach people and how do we go directly to the consumer? Um, and that's been brewing me really over the past year. I knew I wanted to get away from specific direct physician referrals and really grow my practice from within the community. And that's really where Breakthrough and GrowthX came through for us. Cool. So oddly, we were going through um, we were going through a marketing exercise here internally, and you, you don't know this, but you brought up a term which is patient-centric marketing. And I've said there's no way that we can tell the physical therapy industry that the private practice industry that because they don't it, traditionally as PTs we don't buy patient-centric marketing, we buy branding that makes us feel good, and it talks about you mentioned it before you know, our, the letters after our name or our clinical specialty or something like that. That's what we're used to buying. And we, we've been doing that for a hundred years, right? But patient-centric marketing goes after the consumer in their language and speaks to their pain. So it's a rotator cuff and shoulder problem or a neck pain or knee, hip, whatever the issue might be. Um, so can you talk about like, why did that resonate with you when it, the average PT knee-jerk reaction is, no, I, I want to continue to buy branding that makes me look good as the premier rehab provider in my area. Um, I think from growing up in Fort Worth, Texas and growing up in a community of people, you realize that word of mouth is one of the best things you have. Um, I think that I learned that a very long time ago. And really where my relationships built with physicians was because of that, because of the care I provided to a patient, they went back and told the doctor. Um, and so my experience in terms of growth, uh, both you know personally and professionally has been really through people uh, and through patients. And so very early on, I realized the patients are the key and the pathway to be able to grow. It was just through my own experience that, that I realized that. Cool. So prior to GrowthX, did you try any other uh, direct-to-consumer marketing methods? So I did um, at the beginning of 2020, um, maybe end of 19, I hired a person to help us launch stuff on Facebook. Uh, we know that Facebook is, you know, targets a bunch of people. I didn't know how to do it. I wanted to hire somebody that could basically put out ads about our clinic. We did a Movement Monday series that every Monday or a couple Mondays a month, we would you know, talk about posture and mechanics or talk about ankle pain or plantar fasciitis, or we would pick a topic of the month and we would do a movement Monday and we would launch that out on social media. And I think the frustration for me is I never, even though there was some metrics behind it, I never knew how many patients were being generated from our social marketing efforts. I never put out uh, print ads or anything of that nature. I, I was like, well, let's see. It, it's an inexpensive way for us to market. We can change it. 
we can adjust, we can do anything we wanna do. We can show our staff, we can show these Movement Monday series. I just didn't know where it was going. I don't know how much it actually generated. And that, that frustrated me. It frustrated me that I wasn't able to determine exactly how many people were coming in for that reason. Um, and that's really when I began to dig into to breakthrough because I felt like I needed, you know, better metrics of, of what was happening. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you're talking about vanity metrics there, which are open rates or views or, you know, click throughs yeah. or how many clicks, like how many yeah. views, just yeah. basic things that didn't really tell me how many patients we saw as a result, except on our intake paperwork, which said, how did you hear about us? Well, through Facebook, but unless that metric is tracked, which it wasn't, it was like, well, we don't know. We know we're out there, but we don't really know how many patients we're generating from it. Yeah. So the, the way that uh, at least Carl and I have talked about what we do at Breakthrough is uh, not only patient-centric, but also direct response, which is a, that's a term that's been around for 150 plus years in advertising, but direct response is where we do an ad and then a, the person has a specific call to action. So they call the office, they click on the ad and register for an event or they, there, there's some sort of action that's measurable. Um, you have that in place now. Um, I, I guess the bigger question is how, we, or the more important question is how would you define as a practice owner what GrowthX is to you? How do you think about it now? Oh, it's, it's an explosion is what it is. I mean, like I said, when we started, uh, GrowthX started uh, for us in January of 2021. Um, our initial evaluations in January of 2021 were 89 initial evaluations a month. Um, this month, we're seeing 121 initial evaluations. So I think some of that has come, again, through some relationships that I've built with some newer physicians. Uh, but a good chunk of that has been through uh, our workshops. Great. There's, uh, there, there's something else that you and I can do offline here, Jen, but uh, I, I'll show you how we do an in-depth analysis. Um, okay. I kind of have a feeling you might go down that route a little bit. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, but yeah, there, you, you, can, you can actually measure uh, even like Google SEO results. When we shut down Facebook, the Google SEO tanks, which is, that's yeah. a crazy thought. Interesting. Um, same thing with physician referrals. Um, same thing with past patients returning for additional care, um, which is that they don't seem to be related at all. But if you think about, if you're using a media type like a Facebook, or even if you have like a small weekly paper in your area and everybody sees that, um, there's a ripple effect because now you're hitting people in multiple touch points where you can only see the effect of it when you shut one of those things off. Interesting. Um, so I, I'll, I, I can show you that and how we track it long-term and how we think about uh, allotting our marketing dollars. Um, any, all right. So uh, you, this is your third pr presentation tonight. My th this is, um, well, we, we had our workshops because of COVID. Oh yeah. So it's actually the fifth presentation, but the third month. Okay. Fair so, um, so any words, and this is, think about this, um, about 90% of our private practice industry has not done any sort of direct to consumer type presentation. Right. Um, so it, it's still newer. 
when mm -hmm. Carl and I started talking about this seven or eight years ago, it, we were crazy people, right? And now right. it's become more and more accepted. And there's, you know, even other experts in the marketplace talking about <laughs> workshops um, and presenting yourself. But you, you've had a history of doing the leap of faith, trusting your gut. Um, what was it like going into your first workshop and any words of advice for somebody who's on the fence and they know they need to do this for new patients and diversifying their new patients long-term, but they're a little bit apprehensive about picking up a new competency and any words of uh, wisdom for that? So I'm going to tell you, our first workshop was magical. I mean, I really, um, you know, Chad, as I told you, I'm, I'm a big skeptic. Um, the proof has to be of the pudding for me. Uh, it takes time to build trust. It takes time to get over those hurdles. When I finally decided to launch with GrowthX, um, I knew it was going to take time to get to that point. It's training staff. It's it's getting ready for the workshop. As a presenter, um, you, you there's you've got to bring out the electric side of you that is able to read an audience. That um, you know, as therapists, we know the body, we know what we're doing in terms of treatment. Um, but I found it very helpful, obviously going through uh, Breakthrough University, watching videos over again of these workshops being delivered, generate, um, you know, a mock of, of some of those videos, um, practiced it over and over and over again. And really the first time I did it live, there was about 20 people in the room and it was on a Tuesday evening. And, you know, people were sharing their stories, they were laughing, there were jokes, it was very light, but very professional in terms of people left there, I think, feeling like they had a lot of great information. Um, and then the five minute miracle workshop just wowed everybody, the woman was ooing and aahing at the front of the, at the, front of the workshop. Um, and it was, it was just magical. And at the end of the night, I looked at my office manager because it took us, it, it's a lot of work to get there in the beginning. Once you get there, you're there. And I looked at her and she looked at me and we were just, we were overjoyed. And we converted all these patients um, into initial evaluations, which was fantastic. You know, our numbers started coming up. It's been continued training. I mean, we're only three months, this is the third month. So we're only three months into this, but every time now I go out to deliver a workshop, I'm excited about it. Um, it's exciting to make such an impact within the community and because we're marketing directly to people that need help and not because they were sent by a doctor and not because of any other reason, but they saw your ad, they needed help and now they're coming in to get it. And there's just, there's no better feeling. It's been fantastic. Wonderful. Jennifer, you ruined my plan there. I was looking for a <laughs> flying into the mountain type story and how you had to resurrect <laughs> and everything. But uh, that, that's, I, mean, I, I feel like I should give a disclaimer here to the 90% that haven't done yeah. it. But uh, um, it, when you line everything up, when you prep beforehand, uh, sounds like you had your team on board. You did, I mean, there were, there were some cues in there that uh, people can take notes on. You rehearsed, uh, you, you didn't try to reinvent the wheel yourself. You no look for it and then just learn to hit the ground running. Um, well done, but uh, yeah, definitely. Actually, actually Chad, as, as, I, <laughs> as I told, uh, as I told uh, Nikki, when I was first prepping, 
I saw you give a shoulder workshop and I literally transcribed your workshop word for word. And I went back and read it through and read it through and realized, okay, well, what story can I interject here that I have with the patient? And I think you gave a story about the, the, the leaky, leak leaky through the roof, time. right? Yep. And, you know, I have a similar story in my house with our hot water heater or our water heater that was in our attic. And, um, you know, I, I realized I could really make it my own, but it was that prep of going through your workshop and going, okay, I get it. I understand what he did here. And that's how I did it. Yeah. So very well done. Uh, I can tell you this also, I, I was at a, a Dan Kennedy event back in 2014 or 2015. And this was like off to the side, there were 200 people in the room. It was like one of Dan's uh, exclusive events in Cleveland. Uh, Dustin Burleson, who's an orthodontist, asked him this question. He said, hey, like, who do you, how do you know somebody's going to put the work in? And, and he told this really quick story. But I, I heard the story, which was writing out in longhand what, like, what you want to either write or present. Sure. It is amazing training for the subconscious mind. And I would take uh, webinars that I found that were compelling and write out the whole, the entire webinar longhand. And it's, it's so helpful. Yeah. It, it's not new, but it's very few people are willing to put the work in. It's true. Um, well done. Thank you. It's, it's very, and again, I want you to realize your, your, uh, in a very short period of time, you're, you're the beacon for other owners that are looking to open and uh, grow and scale quickly. And it's very possible if you have your, uh, your, your ducks in order. I don't know why I'm trying to say a cl cliche saying there's probably a really good Fort Worth saying that you grew up with. That's way better than <laughs> have your ducks in a row. But uh, <laughs> do you have something in mind? I don't know. I don't know if it's, well, it wouldn't be ducks. It would be cows or horses, nice. but then most people think we get to work on our, on horseback. So, <laughs> which Great. is not true, but. Cool. Um, so that uh, I'm going to stray from the script here a little bit. I don't, uh, I mean, you, you've shared a ton here with performas, the challenges um, in opening your leap of faith, your private your private practice journey and also trusting the journey, the mentorship. I think, I thought you had some really good nuggets in there. Talked about culture, getting the right staff on board, marketing and expanding. Um, sounds like you're setting the, the next goal. Uh, so I'm going to deviate from the script a little bit. Do you have any questions for me? I could ask you a million questions. <laughs> I'll take one. Do you have like a, a, a most pressing question that's related to a challenge now? Could be hiring, think, could be marketing space. Well, I think ultimately, you know, obviously the marketing space is moving forward. It's um, it's when it's it's probably in my near future. When and how do you know the time is right to open a second location? And I think my bigger concerns are if you're looking at you know space, um, you know. Where is that location in reference to your existing location? I've heard some people say, well, you put another location within so many miles, you like triangulate essentially. Um, I think those are some of my questions in terms of me trying to get my vision moving forward. Um, how do you know when, where in terms of proximity does that happen? And is it better to you know, ultimately, if I figure the lease on my current space is another four years, and I know that I'm expanding at a point that we're going to need a second location, 
do I go to a second location that coincides with the length of term of this lease and then look to buy a building where you actually have an investment property where you're not paying rent? Um, you know, that was kind of my initial train of thought, but I'd love to hear from you in terms of your journey. I, I think you said you're in the process of purchasing a building, uh, what your thoughts are about that. Yep. So uh, I think I wrote these down in order, but the first question was when, how do I know when to open another location? So uh, the, the, the great thing is you get to decide. Uh, the, the next thing I'm going to tell you is um, probably controversial. So I, I'm a believer, at least from my own experience, 18 years in private practice, that uh, you're, you're either growing in some fashion. So it might be more visits. It might be um, tightening up your processes or greater, greater utilization of existing space, or you're not. And when you're not, that it's very dangerous, right? Um, and for you, you know, doubling in a very short period of time in terms of visits, like that's probably not even, like there's no way that could happen. Uh, when you fill that the, the space of the first clinic, it can happen. And it's very easy to mm -hmm. fall into a complacency for 12 to 36 months. Not hard to do. I did it. Um, so th th my original thought, um, and this was just me personally, was to have one or two locations run very well where we were just maximally utilized. And then the breakthrough helping other owners was my dream back in 2004. So that, that, that was part of the original um, vision in terms of helping owners. I didn't understand the mechanism, um, you know, hadn't met Carl yet or anything else. But so for us now, we, we map out what 20% growth looks like. So you probably have a trajectory that you're thinking, you know, that next dream, that next BHAG, uh, or one HAG, three HAG, whatever it is. So you're thinking through, okay, if we're going to grow 10% next year and I'm in 60, 400 square feet now, and we're seeing 350 visits a week, can we even grow 20% would be another 70 visits a week? No. Okay. Well, now we have to start planning space. So now uh, our, yeah, I have uh, six other partners here in my private practice um, that own a little more than one third of the business. And there's a transition plan that we have in place um, long-term, like over a decade plus. Um, so for us, we're, we're on this thing called the 20 mile March and we're just looking, okay, with our existing space that we have today that we're paying for today, um, do we need to add additional staff? If we, if we're already maxed out, how can we expand in an area? Um, the 20 mile radius thing is, is how I hear it frequently. I, I, I don't, I don't think you can really do that. Right. So, um, when do we know to grow? when our trajectory says we should be opening because if you don't open and you wait, you lose some momentum, right? Mm -hmm. There's also a morale thing that happens with the team if it's like not exciting and it's very mundane. So you have to have a pulse on your team as well, especially if you have some ambitious people that want to elevate to a clinical director or some sort of office manager or leader or something like that. How to pick the next location. Um, the, uh, I'll, I'll, I, I use two tools. Um, the first is the growth X team because they can, 
cheat for me and we look ahead uh, mm -hmm. to see how many people are on, you know, using Facebook in an area, that's fairly easy for me to use. And um, I do want to say the reason that we use Facebook for anybody that's watching this, as of today, it's the number one media to reach our avatar, our target market, which is 45 to 64 year old family oriented females. I'm guessing you're the same with the health and wellness. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's n n number one um, consumer in the world, number one schedule of appointments in the world is a, a 45 to 64 year old family oriented female. That just, it makes no sense to ignore her first. <laughs> it's true. Right. Um, so when we look at locations, um, actually, if you give me a second here, I can get the tool up. Okay. Uh, yeah, give me one second. All right, this is always dicey to share a screen. Um, so you're in Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, wh what's the... What's the zip code you're in right now? 76132. All right. Is that a pretty large zip code? Yes. All right. And are you on Oakmont Boulevard, Overton Ridge Road? Overton Ridge. All right. So the way this tool works is um, just not, so normally I come up here and I go, 45 to 64. So you said you're on Overton Ridge, you're in this area here off of, uh, is that C1P? Chisholm? I can't. Yep, Chisholm Trail. Yep, the yep. clinic is literally right off that. Mm -hmm. Yep, so you're literally here. So in this, here, and this is how I look at it. So if you look at the top, and I understand this might be, it says 1,637 residential um, addresses on this postal route, 25 businesses, 14%, which is pretty low, age 45 to 64, only 1.7 people per household. Average household income is 41K. But if you go around this, quickly we get up into families, right? Married or families, mm -hmm. 1.95 people, 25%, 70K household income. Here's 122, so you have a very affluent area uh, yep. by the Ridgely Country Club. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so now it's two and a half people, 40% are in that age bracket. And the, uh, yeah, 122 household income. There's another decent one, 128 over here, Oakmont Park, can't quite read it. Um, so if you're up here, how far away is the Mira Vista Golf Club? It's not that far. It's about five, 10 minutes down the road. Okay. So out of the surrounding zips, 7610913303626126, is there a direction that you would go? Um, well, 76109 is where I currently live. Okay. And you've got a lot of families in 76109 because of the schools. Would you want to go there? I mean, potentially, yes. I think it would, it would be a good place to look at going. So let's check it out. Rent, rent's going to be higher in 76109 is probably the bigger concern. Uh, 
All right, so if we, so there's a very affluent area. Um, actually, these look pretty good. Super high affluence, primarily families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would, what we do is we'll use this tool. Uh, and I mean, you have a ton of 100K plus here. Wow, look at that one. 131. Yeah. I mean, that's something South Drive. Well, it's in this area, again, it's because of the elementary schools that are there. People move into this area with families because the school system is so great. Great. So here's how, how we think about it then. Once we do this exercise and we make sure there's some level of affluence in the area, we then think about where do, um, where do people live? And especially our avatar, where does she live and where is she shopping? So Target, Hobby Lobby, Kohl's, Starbucks, where we want to figure out what that route looks like. And then we want to be along that. We want to be convenient for her along that route. Um, that, that's what we look for. And then after that, we price shop the space. Um, well, you know, because if something's, oh yeah, I mean, it's $60 a square is, yeah, yeah, or, the, yeah, yeah, not 60 here, but, uh, I, I was just talking with, uh, well, when Deepak was here up in Edmonton for the episode, uh, yeah, they're paying $60 a square foot triple net. That's triple. That's I, it's just, it's just insane. I, it makes my stomach turn to even think yeah. about, think about that. And how do you, when you're paying that kind of rent, I think it came up in one of the owner, um, it wasn't a workshop, but it was one of your owner calls the other day. Yeah. Uh, how do you know when the percentage is, you know, what percentage of your revenue should go towards your rent? Yeah, with Bob. Yeah, uh, the, the pro forma helps that. Right. Because it, it, too many owners will just, I, I hope I can make it work. Rather, the, you have to make it work on paper with your revenue and your costs. And right. if you can't make it work in that pro forma that you brought up before, forget it. So for us, you know, we would look at it and let's say, you know, you found a space in that area that made sense, but it's $30 a square foot. I would go through our revenue and expense and our costs. And then I will use that to negotiate with the, the landlord mm -hmm. and just say, hey, you're saying you want PT here. I'm working the numbers. We have to be at 24 square foot. And that's like the maximum that I can pay. We, we just can't afford to go beyond that. Reimbursements are declining and everything else. And, and I mean, I go into that with a story of like, here's why I need a lower rate. Um, at the same time, the clinic that we just opened up in Hershey, um, we, I, I think the total negotiation was 50 cents. And it, I just said, hey, like, you're really close. We just need to be at this number. And, and he said, oh, yeah, that's fine. He, Great. <laughs> yeah, so so um, here's my question to you, too. Do you, do you use a real estate broker to help you do that? Um, that one, yes. Because I, so here's what I would do to, you're, you're in Fort Worth, so there's probably a million brokers. There are probably three that are the best well-known. I don't know what Dallas-Fort Worth area is like. I know in central Pennsylvania, they do not talk like they're siloed. Um, they, they, I, they do. I, I misspoke there. They'll talk, but they're, if I'm with 
XYZ real estate and I can achieve a commission for the sale and the buyer or the renter and the landlord, then that's what I want to do. I don't want to work with another agent. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yep. So I would get to know really well the, the whoever those top three brokers are and then ask them about deals that are coming up because frequently that's where you can negotiate. If, if So this deal for us, um, it was very fluky uh, in, in Hershey. Um, it was on the main street. We had told this one broker that we wanted to be there for a while. We had looked at other properties there and none of it ever made sense. And he, uh, he caught wind of a representative that might be losing his, a congressman that was gonna, about to lose his seat. And the, the landlord was gonna have a vacancy and we were able to go in there and work out a That's deal. That's great. That's great. So it, it, it never even hit the market. Um, and again, we were still able to negotiate um, at, at least some terms of the deal, which was surprising. Um, so I would do that. The other question that you asked was buying a building. Um, I started, so the original building that we were in, uh, again, luck, whatever you want to call it, six months after we opened the practice in, in September of 2003. So this was like uh, maybe February or March of 2004. Norm, who became one of my mentor, my real estate mentor, um, and went on to do, uh, I don't know, a billion dollars in real estate deals, like crazy number. Um, he had said, hey, I'm eliminating, you know, I'm um, liquidating this part of my portfolio, or I forget exactly but he was selling off everything between 500K and a million. I'm like, hey, man, like, I just opened up. I, I have a kid, <laughs> you know, a, a five-month-old at home. Like, this is not the time. And I said, uh, you know, is, is there another way we can make this work? And uh, he ended up extending me a line of credit that I paid him back in 10 months. Um, or I think they call it a mezzanine loan. But the... I mean, that original, if you can do it and you can get into real estate, another one of my mentors prior to that told me, make money in what you know how to do, PT business. Mm -hmm. um, live on a little and invest the remainder in real estate. And that, that just, it made an impression on me as a you know, young aspiring entrepreneur in my 20s. And I just, I did that repeatedly. And uh, we just kind of got to a point where we didn't have to take our, personal money anymore and, and shovel it into real estate. Um, commercial property, owning your own building. Uh, uh, what was that guy's name? David Bach is coming to mind. This is uh, late 90s, early 2000s. He was a pretty big financial advisor, like almost on like the Robert Kiyosaki level. Um, he took a look at, I might be messing up his name. But um, he took a look at all of his, his entire portfolio of clients, and he looked at those that had retired comfortably, meaning they weren't able to produce the way that they could when they were 35 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and they weren't worried about reproducing. It didn't mean that they weren't working anymore, but they weren't worried about it, and they had taken care of their family. And the commonalities were that they were uh, self-employed, service provider that, uh, that obviously owned their own business where they were right. self-employed in. 
and they owned the real estate underneath their business. That made an impression on me. And there's probably no greater tax vehicle for investing than an owner user setup, which is where you own the real estate under Ratner PT. Mm-hmm. Have you, are you, how big's the building total square footage where you're at right now? Oh my gosh. Well, there's, it's big. There's, you got a Petco, you got, I mean, oh, it's are a you plaza. talking about, yeah, it's a, you're and we, we originally, when we were negotiating, we we're like, is it for sale? I mean, we, you know, we asked the question and it was not, this property is managed out of, out of uh, Glazer Properties in New Jersey. So it wasn't for sale and they weren't willing to sell it, but it's a big yep. complex. Yep. Never mind. Um, so. <laughs> st- standalone office buildings. Um, so w- when I drive an area, that's what I look for. And even uh, this this place in Hershey, they weren't willing to sell right now, but they said that they would consider it in the future. I just planted a seed because the, that property is kind of our wheelhouse of what I like, you know, five to 20,000 square feet is a pretty good space for us. And I, I want it fully leased and uh, a few other things that I look for. Right. Well, and I think, I think the question too is, you know, there's a... Uh a 24 hour fitness right down the street from me. And it's, it's a big building. And uh, my staff, we will drive by it. And they're like, Jen, look, there's the next clinic. <laughs> and I laugh and I'm like, you guys are real funny. And they're like, no, we're serious. We, this is, this is where the next clinic's going to be. That's great. And um, yeah, it's like, you know, it's just a function of when, you know, when do you do that? And I think my growth is going to supersede me potentially. Into it. Um, but these are all the things that obviously the challenges I face in terms of my growth forward. I can guarantee I never thought I'd be having this conversation with you right now, you know, March of 2021. It's just uh, crazy. I never thought about opening up a, a clinic, let alone another location or multiple locations or yeah. buying a building. So you're doing great. You're doing great. Um, Thank you. The, the, the building, you just have to make it work on paper. Okay. And, and that's, I, I use that every time the, you know, somebody can throw out a price and I'll say, I'll take a look at the, like what this is going to look like. And um, that's a more robust conversation. For sure, but like, don't don't move into a space paying yourself thirty dollars a square foot. Ratner PT playing paying Ratner Real Estate because uh, it's going to be a separate LLC. Thirty dollars a square foot if that's not fair market value. So we I, I keep everything copacetic with with that. Um, you know, good relationships between the real estate entity and the PT company. Banks appreciate that. The partners here you know, in my own private practice, appreciate that as well, that I'm not somehow, you know, siphoning off for tax purposes, doing anything unethical or sketchy or anything like that. Sure. But, um, uh, yeah. The buying you feel, if it works on paper, well, go for it. Well, and that's the other question. Do you feel like it's better to have a bigger building where you can accommodate more patients, more staff? Are you better off with multiple locations? So I, I, I think about this in terms of, uh, like almost cells, like if you could break a private practice down to its smallest common denominator. 
and you have to hang in there with me for a second okay. Uh, okay. because it, it, it's another distinction that I picked up between a solopreneur owner, which is the majority of our industry and somebody who's like working with uh, private equity or, you know, they have 300 locations or something like that. Right. Um, but there, there is a unit, right? And it's pretty much space with a license a licensed clinician in that space right now we, we can change what we put in it we can put aquatics in it or a treatment table or exercise equipment i mean that's it's kind of redundant when you're when you're using that cellular basic building block of private practice theory but the the goal is to fill the space so like we'll take um when we're assessing do we want to open another clinic or expand an existing clinic and we literally just had this conversation with our owners. And I said, well, you know, we have three options. We can acquire an existing practice. We can continue to open de novo clinics, brand new clinics, um, or we can expand our existing. So we take a look at our 20% growth year over year. You know, what do we need in visits and new patients in order to do that, to continue to grow and expand our impact in our area. Um, and then we say, okay, do we, Need more space? Yes. All right. So this 2000 square foot clinic, is there existing space or an easy move for us that, you know, is there another 2000 square feet that's adjacent and we can just take that and, you know, knock the wall down? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then let's do that. If not, then we're going to open another clinic. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a path of least resistance. Yeah. And there's a, currently there's a karate studio right next door to me and there's a gym on the other side. And so now, you know, again, we have conversations, okay, who's going to be out of there first and can we take over that space potentially? Yeah. At least in the interim. If you talk with a manager or owner, usually they'll, they'll tip uh, their hand and, and it's not, it's usually a relief for them. So if I were a gym owner or karate studio owner and I was going through the pandemic and I, I'm looking to get out of a lease, you might be an answer there. Right. So, um, and that's in one of our properties that happened with a, it was kind of a weird, it was another medical provider. They signed a 10 year lease. They sold their practice and never serviced within there. So we're ready to expand and they're there and we just said, we'll take over your lease payments. Wow. So every once in a while, yeah, that, stuff like that will fall stuff in. Stuff like that happens. Yeah. Yeah. But fair enough. Uh, All right. Was that helpful? Yeah, very much so. Okay. Thank great. you. Uh, and I thank you, Jen, for being on here and uh, sharing your story. Uh, you covered a lot of material in a short period of time. You're doing great. I encourage Thanks. you to do the same. And uh, break a leg in tonight's workshop. Huh? Thanks. Appreciate you, Chad. Really great. do. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jen. See you. Have a good afternoon. All right.